This is The Guardian. Hello and welcome to The Guardian Football Weekly. Crisis averted at Anfield. Liverpool 9, brackets 9, Bournemouth 0. Frankly, too many goals for one game, but once again, a blunt refusal to score 10 as Jurgen Klopp puts his arm around Scott Parker. It's exactly what our group captain would have wanted. Should Erling Braut Haaland really be allowed to play with normal humans? His hat-trick helps City come back from two down against Palace. Scandal at the Emirates as Arsenal players and fans celebrate victory to keep them top. Scandal at the City ground as Richarlison does three keepy-ups. Manchester United dig out a win at Southampton. The 10 men of Chelsea are too much for Leicester. Stevie G's having a bad time and Alan San Maximan hits one really hard. There's a Champions League draw to look at, Preston's hilarious start to the season and Barry's cheetah learnings. All that plus your questions on today's Guardian Football Weekly. On the panel today, Barry Glendenning, welcome. Hello, Max. Hello, Philippe Auclair. Bonjour, mon vieux Max. Bonjour, ça va. And hello, Lucy Ward. Good morning, Max. Uh, right, let's start at Anfield. Then Liverpool 9, Bournemouth 0. On Thursday, Barry, you called it a must-win game. Uh, I think we all agreed it was must-win, <laughs> and they did They did win. And Barry, we were talking about yesterday, it's quite hard to analyse a 9-0 victory, isn't it? Yeah, I'm, I firmly believe that teams should stop at 6 if only for the benefit of those of us who have to talk about the game afterwards and struggle to remember the order the goals went in, who scored, who didn't score. And yeah, I, th- I think just think it's a bit mean to, to keep piling the hurt on uh, a team like that. I mean, Cel- I was watching the Celtic game yesterday and they went 9-0 up against Dundee United with 10 minutes to go. And rather than take their foot off the gas, they really, really, really went for it to try and get up to double figures, but didn't manage it in the end. And uh, it was sort of similar with Liverpool against Bournemouth. I think they went 9-0 up and, and still had 10 minutes left to try and get a 10th. Am I right? Um, see, I can't remember. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I suppose the funniest thing about all of all of this game is I had a bet on Bournemouth to win, which uh, <laughs> was one of the more stupid wagers I've ever put on in the, in the with the benefit of hindsight. But yeah, it was a, a brilliant performance by Liverpool, who who probably should have got twelve. Mo Salah didn't score. I'd imagine that he's annoyed by that, and he missed three very good chances. And Bournemouth offered no resistance whatsoever. It was a, a an awful performance from them. I've got a couple of things on this. Cole commentating on a 9-0 is a nightmare because there's only so many words that you can use to describe how (laughs) bad a team or how bad they've defended or how well a team has attacked. I can remember in a Women's World Cup uh, doing that. And in the end, I said about the goalkeeper, bless her, because she was like, (laughs) the only time she touched it was picking the ball up out the back of the net. And and, and on to my next point is that if when that happens in the women's game, it's the women's game is the worst sport in the world and everybody's rubbish. The goalkeepers are rubbish. But when, when it happens, happens in the Premier League it's like wow what a performance from whoever it is I was going to say if it's in the women's game it's because women's football is shit and if it's in the Scottish game it's because Scottish football is shit but if it's in the Premier League it it (laughs) just shows that the best teams on their day can perform miracles Philippe what did you make of it no I was 
fully expecting a reaction from Liverpool, Max. Um, no, I mean, you feared for them, given the state that they were in. I mean, we'd already seen them the previous weekends. They hadn't been exactly brilliant at Bournemouth. Um, and the reason, if we want to be a bit more serious about this, you just have to compare the, the spending of Bournemouth to what has been the spending of the other promoted teams. And um, and you, I think you've got an, an answer to the chasm in quality uh, between Liverpool and um, and that team. I, I just wonder if Fabinho walked off the pitch, Barry, going, listen, I was the one change and this is what <laughs> happens. I am, I am, we know he's good. Fabinho was going to say, this was all about me. I mean, it, it is hard. We should mention Trent Alexander-Arnold's goal because it was such a wonderful strike. And had this been a 1-0, we'd have spent a long time talking about it. Yeah, he, he played a lovely one too with Roberto Firmino. Uh, it was a, an excellent shot. Did he take a deflection? I think it did on its way in, which kind of took the gloss off it. Yeah, oh, okay. I'm pretty sure it did. Oh, okay. Little Sorry. one. I'll take it back. Don't need to talk about it at all. It was a fluke, Max. An absolute <laughs> fluke. No, um, it'll do him good because he hasn't had a good start to the season. People have been pointing the big finger of blame at him for, for many of Liverpool's shortcomings in the early stages of the season. And, uh, you know, he's undeniably a terrific player, but all players go through ropey patches of form. Um, I just slightly off topic. I want I wanted to ask Lucy: Have you ever been on the wrong end of a hiding like that? And and how do you? What's the feeling in the dressing room afterwards? And how how do you go about bouncing back from it? Yeah, I have quite a few times actually. But as a, as a kid, I remember when I was a kid playing. I was playing in an adult team where you we used to go sort of travel like three hours up to. Whitley Bay and get battered 15-0 because they were like the best women's team uh, around and for me I just laughed all the way home because I was 12 years old but as I got older and it and it happened in fact we got to an FA Cup final with Leeds and it was against Arsenal the best team in in the country and it was at Millwall and there was going to be sort of a couple of million watching on BBC and I was a forward in those days but I'd sort of helped out at the back because we had injuries so I played my what turned out to be my only FA Cup final at centre-back when I was a centre-forward. So that was already galling enough without then scoring an own goal within the first minute from a corner, header from a corner. And I, when I looked up, I could see my image on the screen in the corner thinking, and I could have, if the door had been open, the gates had been open, I could have walked from Millwall back home to Leeds. It was the worst <laughs> thing. And we got beat 5-0 and my mum said afterwards, well, nobody will know who you scored for. I was like, well, yeah, well, we didn't get any goals, Mum. It was 5-0. So. And you know what? It took me a long time to get over that, at literally not being able to joke about it uh, for a long time, for a few weeks. And, and obviously, bearing in mind, I worked in a first-team training ground at Leeds, so, and which is obviously banter central. So when I went back in a couple of days later, I was sat in my office thinking, I, I can't cope with anybody making any jokes. It's the biggest game of my career, and I absolutely ballsed it completely up. But one by one, the first team came into my office to say, you think that's bad? Listen to what happened to me. You think that's bad? This is what happened to me. And they were <laughs> really, really good. And and so I think that they recognised that, that, that how important it was um, and that um, obviously the biggest game of my career was obviously the worst game of my career as well. So, uh, yeah, no, no, it takes a while to get over, but obviously the Bournemouth don't have that much time. You think that's bad? You should uh, ask Barry what happened on a... Ubar train in, in Munich. Um, um, 
I did want to ask you, Lucy, actually about Harvey Elliott and like, because you obviously work with lots of young players and Harvey Elliott scores that first goal in front of the cop and you can just, that emotion is just, it's just joyous to see any player, any club, anywhere, isn't it? Yeah, it's it. I mean, there's so much pressure on these young kids at, I mean, he was at, at Fulham and obviously moved from there. So obviously big pressure on him at the start. I think he had that bad injury. Again, that adds a layer of, what if I don't come back the same? Then they start the season off, he's in the team and they're not quite clicking. So I think that all in, I think I read as well that I think he'd, he'd lost someone close to him recently as well. And so I think all that, but that's it. This is, this is the thing about young players, um, you know, that they, they are quite inconsistent a lot of the time, but when they are consistent and they do something as well as that, then, you know, you, you have to allow that. And it's, I mean, I, I love seeing young players do well because I know how difficult it is to just even get into a first team squad, never mind sort of play for a team as big as Liverpool. It made me think of um, Trevor Chalaba for Chelsea. This will be the yeah. same kind of a reaction, which is um, absolutely beautiful, I must say. Uh, yeah. I was doing some research, by the way, Max, on that game, uh, Liverpool Bournemouth, because I mean, Bournemouth are still a long way away from Lumbebu United, who were beaten 95 nil by Cahunia Rangers in Sierra Leone. And I think there's a Madagascar <laughs> club which lost by 149 nil. Uh, because they let their opponents score every time because they didn't agree with the refereeing decision. But I haven't been able to find out if Lumbebu United managed to bounce back from this 95-0 triumph. But when it comes to more seriously, sometimes uh, it happens that a team gets hammered like that. Remember, you know, Southampton against Leicester? And in a way, I remember when, uh, once we were talking to, to Wenger about uh, exactly one of those games. And he said, those games usually don't matter. If you have a scoreline like that, it's something strange happened and it doesn't happen twice. In the case of Southampton, I was absolutely correct. Southampton were a bit of a hot and cold kind of team, bounced back very well. But in the case of Bournemouth, you don't see them bouncing back at all, unless something no. very, 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 very important uh, and expected happens before the end of the transfer window because they just don't have the players. Yeah, Mark says, as a Norwich fan, I think it's now time for Bournemouth to be branded a total disgrace and a club that shouldn't be allowed in the Premier League because they don't take it seriously. Or is that just reserved for teams from East Anglia? I wonder, Barry, what did you make of um, Jurgen Klopp putting his arm around Scott Parker? Well, I thought maybe Scott Parker was absolutely hating that and finding it very patronising. Jermaine Jean has called it a touch of class uh, on Match of the Day too. Yeah, I wonder... If the shoe had been on the other foot, how would Jurgen Klopp have reacted to Scott Parker throwing it? But it wouldn't be Barry because Klopp is a different size of shoe. Yeah, it's but well, it's it's quite hard. That's a yeah. He's, he's, Klopp's so much taller; it would just look difficult anyway. <laughs> I always go with the intention of it, and the intention of Klopp was to to sort of say, you know, that I know it's a nightmare and sort of sorry but not sorry I don't think he was going with being patronising and I always like to think of that look at people in a positive way you're not going to say that though are you Baz? Um, Well I saw someone on Twitter say it was the most condescending act they've ever (laughs) witnessed on a football pitch or I think ever in in any context and I I can see where they're coming from but I I don't think he meant it you know I think he meant meant well do you think he said, bless bless you? Do you think we said that, Lucy? Because <laughs> he did it. Um, uh, let's go with the Etihad. <laughs> Manchester City 4, Crystal Palace 2. Brilliant game, this, Philippe, wasn't it? City with another comeback after the one against Newcastle. 2-0 just never didn't feel enough for Palace. Um, and Erling Braut Haaland is ridiculous. 
Well, that's it. You've summed it up. Thank you very much. <laughs> Next. Uh, no, I didn't see it. I only saw the highlights. I only, I only saw six games this weekend, but that was okay, not okay. one of them. All right, so okay, perhaps okay. put the question to Barry or to Lucy or to yourself. <laughs> Barry, go, go on then. Go on then, Barry. Yeah, I, I thought Palace would go on to win it from 2-0 up, and I think they should have been 3-0 up. I'm, that goal that was disallowed when Ederson rolled the ball out and... Um, Hudson Edwards stuck out a boot and, and deflected it into the path of Jordan Ayew, who, who scored. Uh, I couldn't see what the problem was there, um, but the ref was quick to rule it out. And I'd say Jordan Ayew looked bewildered and he doesn't score many goals. So <laughs> <you> know, <laughs> yeah, he needs all the help he can get. But yeah, they would have been 3-0 up. Would, Palace, would City have come back from that? I don't know. But uh, if you've got Erling Haaland in your side, you've always got a chance because he's just a phenomenal player. And um, I loved his uh, third goal, I think it was, where he ran on to a pass from Ilkay Gundogan, burst between Joel Ward and Joachim Anderson as if they weren't there and, and just finished with aplomb as he does. But City coming back from giving teams two goal leads, it's, it's a dangerous practice but they're getting away with it yeah Richard Jolly's stat the Harlands Erling and Alfinger have now scored as many goals for Manchester City as the Whitleys Jeff and Jim did you suspect Lucy that the Harlands collectively might leave the Whitleys in their wake pretty soon yeah I'd like to see whether his mum is quite tall because he I mean he's, he's bigger than a lot bigger than his dad and obviously completely superhuman but that means that his mum must be quite tall. And I wonder if she was a footballer as well, because I know that Solskjaer's daughter, but his wife is a footballer as well. So, and there's a, I think Claudio Reyna, his son, Gio, they're both uh, international. I know I've gone on to a completely different, but you know, it's in the (laughs) genes and uh, he's obviously quite superhuman. But I have to say that I was listening to it on the way back from Southampton and it came in 2-0 Palace and I nearly put a bet on 3-2 City and I wouldn't have won. But I think everybody watching... Um, or listening would have thought, well, at the moment they've been quite reactive, which is is sort of working okay, City. So they're waiting for the other team to make a, a move and then thinking, well, well, we'll just beat you at the Etihad. And I agree with Barry, Palace should have been 3-0 up, but I don't know whether that would have been enough. Uh, I can confirm, by the way, that Erling Haaland's mother, uh, Gree, was a f- uh, national champion in Norway in the heptathlon. Well, there you go. That's why he's superhuman. So does that mean, you know, if, if, if when, who was it who said England want to win the World Cup by 2026? Do we need to start pairing off footballers? Is that what we need to do? Is like bring footballers together or get athletes together? We need to, we need to get, who's really good at the moment? I, I, I think you're on a slippery slope here, uh, Max. I might... You know, it sounds it sounds a little bit the Berlin nineteen thirty six. You know, <laughs> I'm just saying I want Chris Akabusi and Liz McColgan to. I oh know she's Scottish. Oh God, I can't help myself here. <laughs> Denise Lewis and Chris Akabusi to make the perfect footballer. That's what I'm trying to find. Well, Kylian Mbappe is also, I think, father footballer, mother athlete. Right there, you go. Just show you. Uh, Robin says, don't talk about Hurling's red card or Palace's non-goal. How much does City pay you for not mentioning their referee bias? We have mentioned the Palace goal, which I think we all agree should have stood. Yeah. Um, Harlan's had a high boot, Lucy. I thought Jordan Nia as well actually put an elbow in someone's neck or somewhere around there. So 
I don't know what you think about that Harland high foot, if that should be a red or not. Mane got sent off for something similar a couple of years back. Yeah, I mean, it, it, what the letter of the law, whatever the, the words are, uh, you know, dangerous. And, and I think that that was, but, you know, we keep talking about this threshold again, you know, co-commentating and, and um, shall we go on to the Man United game at some point, but the threshold of, you know, these tackles, there's a couple of games I've done already this season where I think, wow, tackle flew in and then they realise that the referee's not going to give a, a, a foul. So then the next two or three uh, tackles are a little bit harder and harder. And I think that there's that, that's been sort of noticed, hasn't it? But I, I, that looks like it was a foul to me. That looked, perhaps it could have been one of these new orange cars that people are talking about or a sin bin or whatever it is. Yeah, I mean, I suppose Harland is so big that when he lifts his foot up, he probably only just thought he was lifting his foot up a tiny bit. But actually, that is head height for the for the rest of us. I mean, it's, it? it's one meter ninety four, which is about the you know, if he lifts his foot, it's about the height. Uh, the foot is about the height of Bernardo Silva, something like that. Yeah. Who, by the way, was absolutely wonderful. Yeah. And and again, I I haven't heard much about his departure these last few days because. If I remember well, about two weeks ago, people were talking about Bernardo Silva putting out this message on Twitter, which looked very much like a farewell, guys. Uh, I don't think they're about to part with him anytime soon. Because, no. should be remembered, he started the reaction and the comeback once again. Yeah, he's a tremendous footballer. And you sort of think, I guess, Philippe, if, if City aren't going to drop points when they're 2-0 down, or they're going to come back and get points, they did drop two points against Newcastle, then... That is tricky for the title race, right? In terms of the title race, we need teams like Palace to hold on if they're winning those sort of games. Yes, indeed. Arsenal 2, Fulham 1. Close your ears over celebrating, please. Did you celebrate, Philippe? Or were you, were you, did yeah. you follow the Richard Keyes mantra and keep it down? No, I didn't at all. I didn't keep it down. Um, I was at the ground and I, I enjoyed it tremendously. And um, what I enjoyed more than anything, I think I've said that before, is the transformation in the mood around the team is absolutely extraordinary. And the the stadium was at its loudest, apart from the second goal when it went in, obviously. But um, just like the previous time, it had been after William Saliba scored an own goal and the reaction was extraordinary. Uh, people just cheered him to the rafters. And the reaction here after Mitrovic did a Mitrovic and bullied Gabriel and opened the scoring was also extraordinary. And they really feed on that. The one thing I'm not too sure yet about is how much they feed on that emotion and connection with the public, uh, which, by the way, is a great thing to have. But otherwise, again, they played some excellent football against a terrific Fulham team, by the way. My goodness, they're tough to play against. My goodness. And and I think in this, as Lucy, you were talking about the uh, letting the game flow. If there's one team that is taking advantage of that, it's Fulham. Because in the midfield, they take no prisoners, to say the least. They were terrific. But Arsenal reacted. Uh, Martin Odegaard is growing from game to game. Obviously, the captaincy really suits him. What, what more to say? It was a very difficult game and perhaps the most pleasing of them all for Mikel Arteta since the beginning of the season. And yes, we have to take them seriously. Yeah, I mean, look, the game's, the game's won, Barry. And Arsenal, you know, they fought hard, like Philippe said. It was a tough game. And I mean, I don't know if we should be giving the thoughts of if the thoughts of Richard Keyes really matter in creating the narrative or not. It's quite a funny thing to have seen. Yeah, well, it's the first time Arsenal have gone behind this season and they showed resilience to, to come back and win. So that's worth celebrating. And in the broader scheme of things, like Richard's been away a long time and he may not be aware of the fact that 
The United Kingdom is quite literally lying in its own shit. <laughs> Everyone's broke. There's a cost of living crisis coming up. A lot of those Arsenal fans might not be able to afford to go to the Emirates in a few months' time. They might not be able to afford to heat their homes or eat or have to choose between one and the other. So if they want to celebrate a win... Barry, they'll at, choose the Arsenal. On, on an afternoon <laughs> out. You know, football is supposed to be fun. It's supposed to be entertainment. Now, quite often, attending football matches can be quite an unpleasant experience for a variety of different reasons. So if your team wins, by all means, celebrate. Swing from the chandeliers, as far as I'm concerned. It seems a very weird thing to get exercised about. And actually, you know, like a good atmosphere. That You've been to the Emirates, right, throughout these years, Philippe, where the mm, atmosphere yeah. has been terrible, right? And if you can actually feed off it, if the players can feed off it, you they look do. at the atmospheres at Elland Road, at the city ground now, you know, they they make a difference. Oh, but the atmosphere at the Grove has always been talked about as uh, no atmosphere, basically, which I think is a little bit unfair. Uh, I've been to plenty of other stadiums where the atmosphere is really flat, at Manchester City, for example, uh, for humdrum games at Liverpool, Anfield is actually really, really, really quiet, uh, far quieter than than the library uh, in North London. And uh, but it is at the moment very, very noisy. And um, it's another thing, you know. It's it's a symbol when spontaneously, because it's totally spontaneous, a crowd of sixty thousand basically creates two new songs, which are now part of the folklore in in the space of a couple of months. It tells you that something might just be happening. There's, of course, the, the song from that North London songwriter, which has now been taken up by the fans and now by the club. But it's, it's, it's now as well the Saliba song, which is sung everywhere. Amazingly enough, actually, after the game at the barn, one of the pubs uh, where the Arsenal regulars congregate after the games, uh, there were quite a few Fulham fans there because they're nice people, so they're allowed to be there. And they were they were singing the Saliba song too. So it's, it was it's very odd. It's infectious. Actually, we- we do need to say, look, Arteta's had 100 games. In his first 50, he picked up 75 points. In his second 50, he picked up 100 points. I think we, sort of this time last year, were laughing at Arteta going, what's the plan? And it does seem like there is a plan. They're playing good football. Whether they have the depth to carry on and to sustain a title challenge, who knows? But top four, top four should be something that yeah. they really try, try for. The Europa League as well. They can have a really tremendous season. This year. Uh, one thing which really struck me in terms, purely in terms of football is the way that he changed his system in the game when he realized that there, there, there was a problem. And he, he got Kearney out. He got uh, uh, Martinelli to work as a kind of wing back. And then he managed, he went three, he went four, he went three, he changed it. And every time the players were responding like that, literally, immediately they found, you know, their tune, their rhythm. And he got Eddie Nketiah, whom I honestly, I've, I haven't seen play having such an impact on the game. Didn't score, didn't matter. He had a huge impact on the game. So he got all his decisions right. I, but the, again, I say on the moment, they're surfing on a wave. It seems that the wave is still growing, mm-hmm. but there will be a moment when, you know, it will be a wipeout and it's how they will react to that, which will tell us how far they can go. Don't say wipe out. Arsenal fans will come up with another song that none of us want to hear. That's what um, they would do. It's a great tune. It is a great song. I, I take it back. Let's uh, uh, end part one there. Part two will begin at the city ground. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. 
that crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome to part two of the Guardian Football Weekly. Forest nil, Spurs two. Uh, so Spurs, uh, one of those teams on 10 points, two behind Arsenal. Mike says, it turns out the secret to getting Harry Kane to score in August was to start the season in July. Um, Spurs <laughs> won again. Lucy, were they good, Tottenham? Do you know what? I like Spurs. I said it before the season we were predicting. Just teams always end up a reflection of the manager still on the sideline. And, and I think Conte is having that sort of effect on, on them. He's obviously... Kane is very, very happy to be playing under him. I think, you know, as, as soon as they lose the ball, you know, they're, they're under pressure at the city ground because, like we talked about the crowd earlier, but the defensive shape is brilliant. They've got a goal scorer and he's getting players within the side and getting rid of ones that he doesn't want and he's forming his squad. And so they don't really have to play that well um, all the time, but getting results. And I'm, I'm sure as a Spurs fan, Max, that you're quite happy with what, you've seen so far um, and, you know, they're quite exciting Spurs for me. Exciting is an interesting word because I, th- I think the prospect is exciting, the depth of the yeah. squad, you know, the extra players are exciting. The actual football, Barry, is kind of not exciting for quite long periods and then they suddenly sort of break like sort of, well, like cheetahs pouncing. Yeah, I suppose they defend very deep and it's it's not that attractive to watch unless they're, you know, in transition and streaking up the pitch at pace, but it's effective. Forrest, I thought, played well, but didn't really threaten their goal. I think Loris only had to make one save, and that was a long-range effort. So they they keep teams at arm's length, and uh, it's working. The difference between the two teams yesterday, other than obviously Kane being a goal scorer, is that Spurs are effective defending their own box and attacking the opposition's box. That's the end of it. And that, if, if your team is like that all season, then they'll be up there. And, and that's what Conte's team are. And, and, you know, whether you sit there and you're excited by it, you should be excited by the prospect that, you know, he won't allow that many silly losses or, or performances that are below par. Though it's, it is a Conte team, but, it's, but the Chelsea which became champions, was a very, very Conte team and played in a system which was quite similar, you know, which he adopted after they got walloped by, by Arsenal. Everybody remembers that. And he went three at the back and boom, here they went. They were much more proactive, that Chelsea team, I think, that this Tottenham side, which honestly, when it was without the ball, it was a bit like watching a, a Mourinho team defending with 10 men against 11. So it was, they were so back, so packed and superbly organised. And when they break, my goodness, they, they look they look absolutely terrifying at times. I think it's just putting in place this system. That's that's all there is. There are still players who need to be integrated. Uh, we'll have to see what Richarlison is going to, you know, to give when he's truly integrated in that team, which I think he will be. And and there's also an amount of shithousery in this first team, which I have seen. I, I didn't see in Chelsea, but this one, for me, is is gearing up to become one of the great shithouse teams of the Premier League because it's got all the individuals for that. So what, Romero, Richarlison, Hoiberg? 
Hodjerg, Hodjerg, my goodness. <laughs> wow. And Kane, and Kane, who is a shithouse of a different type, but he, he also is. So you have uh, all the ingredients to create a team that will be an absolute paragon of shithousery and very efficient. You know, the only thing that I don't like to see is Son upset. And I've seen him upset on two or three occasions this, this, when he's been taken off and he sits on the bench and he's really, really upset. That's the only thing I don't like about this Spurs team is, is Son upset. Mm. You sort of think he bounces back. It, the next morning is a brand new morning. He's been born Absolutely. again and he'll be fine. But he looked quite upset. Yeah. He looked quite upset at being, you know, which he normally wouldn't let you know, show. Yeah. But he, he did look like, oh, mm, God. Um, Benji says, is it time to bring back the death penalty for players doing a couple of keepy-ups before a pass? Uh, S. Hart says, uh, is doing keepy-up. Bring back? <laughs> is, uh, <laughs> do you not remember the, the, the 20s when no. most players doing keepy-ups were taken to the gallows? S. Hart, is doing keepy-ups on the pitch worse than spitting? Where do they compare in the English football disrespect scale? And Goldie said, should every team get one free takedown of Richarlison per game? Steve Cooper was not impressed. He said, I wouldn't want my players to do that what Richarlison did. If that's accepted at Spurs, that's nothing to do with me, but it wouldn't be accepted here. I mean, I think that is grade A bollocks from Steve Cooper, Barry. I mean, I don't know where the line is, right? I, I don't mind Dean Henderson waving his cap around like he's some sort of ringleader, but that doesn't seem like sort of, that's totally fine for me, but I don't know where that is compared to keepy-ups. And I think kicking people is worse than doing keepy-ups, but you know, I'm not overly fussed about all of it, but I just thought that was I think that's bollocks from Steve Cooper. Or am I biased? Um, I, I get where you're coming from. The showboating against a team you're beating is frowned upon. Richardson is well within his rights to do as many keepy-ups as he likes. But if you're playing away from home in front of an impassioned crowd and your team is 2-0 up, do your keepy-ups at your peril? And I, I thought, he thoroughly deserved what he got from Brennan Johnson. <laughs> but I'm surprised Brennan Johnson wasn't sent off and it would have been an idiotic red card to get. Uh, but yeah, I, I just thought it was funny. Yeah, I, me too. I mean, I guess the point is, if you're going to do the keep-ups, try and then play a pass to your teammate so you know, you're less likely to get hacked down. But, but I mean, actually, you know, if I was Steve Cooper, I'd be more concerned actually with Richardson's like the fact that the strength that he had to bully, I think it was Neko Williams on the on wide to get that ball back. But once he did that, Lucy, the cross, that was Luka Modric. That was Charisma outside of the right foot stuff, wasn't it? Yeah. I mean, he's a good signing, Richard. I know quite a lot of people said, well, what, what's he gone there? Why did Spurs need him? But there was times throughout last season where you could have rested Kane or whether you needed another option or whether you increase the competitiveness. And I've talked about Son being upset of, of coming back a little bit stronger. But Richarlison at Everton really struggling without his that sort of toughness, that sort of S-housery up front and his hard work. And, and, and obviously he adds a different dimension. He has a quality as well. The, the, the pass was absolutely... Um, Brilliant. Uh, let's go to Stamford Bridge. Chelsea 2, Leicester 1. Um, Thomas Tuchel in the stands for that. Uh, Raheem Sterling off the mark, Barry. He was always going to score. He scored loads of goals. He might not, he might miss the odd chance, but like he's an incredibly useful player and was really crucial for Chelsea given they were down to 10 men. Yeah, uh, one of many uh, deflected goals this weekend. I've lost count of how many took deflections on the way in, but I was never in any doubt that he would be good for Chelsea. But whether or not he would score enough goals, I suppose only time will tell. But um, it was a good win for them 
after Conor Gallagher foolishly got sent off. I didn't think he deserved the first yellow, but he got it anyway, so the foul for the second was idiotic. Um, maybe he's trying too hard, I don't know. He didn't have a good game for Chelsea last week. He could have cost his team dearly this week, and it will be interesting to see if he's kept at Chelsea or if he goes on loan somewhere before the the window closes. So I've managed to not really answer your question about Raheem Sterling, but move it on to Conor Gallagher instead. That's absolutely fine, Barry. You can take this podcast wherever you like. Um, Philippe, we, we, on Thursday, we decided that this game was must-win for both teams. Mm-hmm. And then when, when, obviously, Chelsea went out to 10 men, he thought, if you're Leicester, wow, we, we, this is such a great opportunity. And actually, they had chances. And Jamie Vardy had those chances that are classic Jamie Vardy goal. Yes, I, I, I talked to a couple of Leicester fans after the game, and they were not as downbeat as I thought they would be because they said, at least... They did produce some chances. They didn't have their shooting boots on. Jimmy Vardy was having a rare off day and so forth. But they they had actually produced some decent football and created loads of chances. And they thought should have got away with, with three points. But it, it is rather concerning because well, you do wonder when something needs to happen in that club to spring them back into life. And... Um, well, what is it going to be? Somebody arriving at the club now they've sold for Fana? Um, but who? who is going to um, give that little bit of uh, extra pep. And um, they look a bit, yes. I don't want to sound too downbeat for Leicester. No, you but, can sound uh, however you like. Mm. As in, I mean, how bad, I mean, like, you, you think they're they're struggling. We can all see they're struggling. They're struggling, but, but there's downbeat, also... How downbeat do you want to go? Do you want to go, they could uh, very, go down, downbeat? Yes, or? yes. Wow, okay. Yes. And is that also because, you know, teams who we kind of put in those positions like Fulham... And, you know, Forrest as well have started quite brightly and Leeds. So actually, it may not be the bottom three that we were expecting. No, probably not. And and the thing is as well, things do seem a bit stale. And um, you honestly cannot see how they're going to jump from this state where they, there's a malaise. And um, it might be that it will come through a, a change of manager. It's possible. What's the French word for malaise? Oh, I've lost that. Oh, uh, yes. Oh, dear. Sorry. But no, but in terms of recruitment, it, it's just not happened. And um, also quite a few players have had their heads turned out, you know, as well. Um, I'm not I'm not confident mm. at all for them, which is a shame. Lucy, do we blame Wesley for fire? We saw Brendan Rodgers saying that when Harry Maguire left, he was very professional and he turned up and he did his job. Um, whereas Fafana hasn't done that. Um, I know Willie Bolly as well. We get to that with Wolves. Didn't even turn up because uh, uh, Bruno Lars wanted him on the bench, and he wants to go to. Where's he? Is he going to Forest as well? I, I think yeah. he is. Extraordinary. But um, like, if you're a professional, you just don't want to play that ten minutes or that twenty minutes when you're just about to get a massive contract and nap your ankle, do you? No, it's a difficult one because it, it should just be sorted out. Because as soon as Leicester realise Chelsea is serious and they're obviously trying to get the most money that they possibly can because you you don't want to be left with a player who doesn't really want to be there even though it's like you know there's there is no loyalty at all in football there's not much loyalty in football as Alex Neal from Sunderland Barry um, suggests as well you know we, we're talking about people in jobs that are offered in their eyes better jobs and so I think that always that age-old question if somebody offered you you know, it's sort of a, a better role in a better company that's, you know, um, then you, you would probably consider it. And I think that that's always it. It's just 
I think that the question mark is over the behaviour while it's happening. I, you know, I saw I saw all sorts at, at Leeds. You know, sort of players who just keep going, but try not to get injured, but knowing that they're going to leave, and players that that kick off and cause hassle because they know that the manager don't wouldn't want them still there, causing problems in the, in the training ground. So that's the way it is, unfortunately. But um, I'm I'm a little bit intrigued to how Brendan Rodgers hasn't really complained that much about what's going on in terms of not having these players in there's there's something going on in the background of that club I don't know what it is but the the fact that that Brendan hasn't sort of shown any sort of um murmurs on mu- that much anyway of the fact that he hasn't got players in that he wants um is is quite interesting to me uh let's go to St Mary's Southampton nil Manchester United won um I'm Manchester United back Barry uh <laughs> Uh, <laughs> no, it was a fairly unconvincing 1-0 win. I know Lucy was on call comms. I'm not sure what she made of it, but um, I thought Southampton probably deserved a point. But any win is a good win when you're in a position like Manchester United are at the moment, so they'll be happy with that uh, make-off from St Mary's with three points. It's But uh, it was not convincing. Uh, Bruno Fernandes, I think, Apart from the goal, did bugger all. What I would say about it is I was accused of being Man United hating in the usual tirade that comes to me on social media after a call comms. But I think that Southampton have got young players who are really exceptional and they've they've settled well. Now, as it, with all young players, at some point they'll have an inconsistent um, part. And when they are consistent like they are, they need to get points. And obviously against Manchester United, you know, that who are supposedly going to be right at the top of the league, you probably not look at that fixture and think you are going to get points. But at some point, Southampton... You've got to get on a run, I think, of, of getting those points at home. But, you know, Lavier in midfield, he's, he's 18. And some of his his positional yeah. sense, his choice of passes, which, you know, that that sort of speed and against those sort of players in that Manchester United midfield, more often than not, he chose the right pass, whether it was a short one or whether it was, it was a long one. And, and you know, and the two centre-backs as well, Bella Kotchap and Salisu, very, very, very good. And I think that... They suit Hassan Hootel because he likes to have a young squad that he can mould into the Southampton way. He wrote the Southampton playbook, how all the teams within the academy play, um, you know, the, the certain aspects of, of a player that they should have, all of them should have coming through the academy and into the into the first team. And I think that he does a really good job. I think Manchester United, they defended well. Um, and I think with some of the comments they've had this season, then that's the most that you could you, you could want on an away game after, you know, a couple of dodgy results before the Liverpool game. And it'll be really interesting to see those young Southampton players playing for Liverpool in, in two or three years' time, I, I imagine. Um, no, it was good to see. Can I add Ari Bo to the list? Because I absolutely loved it. Loved this game. Oh, yeah. I absolutely loved this game. And, and Lucy, as, as you were there, how many times can you juggle the ball before it's... Uh, deemed to be against the laws of football. I still haven't got over that. <laughs> and and when, when one of my friends said, well, the only reason why the ref didn't give a penalty is because he thinks that McTominay is so bad that he couldn't possibly have meant it, which is a bit, you know, unfair. But that, that, was, that was extraordinary. Well, it hit McTominay's arm once, then it hit his other arm, and then it hit Adam's arm. And so I was like but going... But he flicks it. That's hit both hands. Yeah, that's his ball. And the first one, it might have been outside the box. And I honestly, 
I didn't know. And we didn't go to Peter Walton. I mean, he was there and I don't really know why. <laughs> Thank God for that, Lucy. I mean, he wouldn't tell you anything. <laughs> <laughs> we didn't go. We didn't, we'd spoken to him before and we didn't go to him. And then I was sort of looking at Daryl and going, are we? No, I, you, you, you sort that out. And I was like, it just hit both his hands. <laughs> it's like, you know, what what on the... And, and I didn't hear anything after that about... And um, we didn't really talk about it. So I, I don't understand how it wasn't... Um, I don't know whether it was because the out, first one was outside the box, but it was looked by VAR because I, I could hear them in my ear. The official explanation was that it was so... McTominay was in such close proximity to Shea Adams, there was nothing he could do to get his arms out of the way of the ball. You kind of think even if it is close or accidental, maybe if you pat the ball five times in a short period, <laughs> that should count. You know, we didn't we didn't talk about how Steve Cook wasn't sent off. I mean, I, I mean that was a sort of hilarious moment as well for a handball. I don't know what he's doing handling the ball there, but perhaps they thought it was sailing over Harry Kane's head. Don says, with Manchester United signing of Anthony, has there ever been another Premier League team to play three Anthonys in their starting lineup before Anthony, Anthony Alanga, Anthony Martial. And should Ten Hag not rest until a starting eleven of Anthonys has been achieved? Is this potentially why Chelsea are pushing so hard to sign Anthony Gordon to stop United from cornering the Anthony market? It's a very good question. A quick question before you say finish with part two. If Maguire stays on the bench, what's going to happen to him for, for the World Cup? Well, and Luke Shaw, don't know. But I don't think it would be a disaster for England, personally is what I think. So, I, you know, I think there are better centre-backs, probably. So, but, I, but it is an interesting question because Southgate is quite loyal, isn't he? And I don't know how yeah. loyal he can do if they, if they don't play at all. How loyal can you be? We shall find out. Um, obviously, that's what happens with all the football things. You find out. Uh, <laughs> that'll do for part two. Part three, we'll round up the rest of the Premier League and do any other business. Welcome to part three of the Guardian Football Weekly. Wolves won, Newcastle won. Uh, Lars says, look, Saudi Arabia lost their both their previous games against Portugal 3-0. You have to say this point against Wolves is big progress for them. Uh, insert Philippe's thoughts on Newcastle's uh, away kit. We, I think we've had them, Philippe. Not a massive fan. Alan Samaxman was wearing it and Goy hit that well, Lucy, didn't he? I mean, if you're Huang, you're thinking it's a bit of a shit clearance, but he's not going to score from there. I mean, Huang must have been gone. Are you serious? That is just not fair. Yeah, it was. I think the the, the, the commentary was about well, that's a poor clearance, and I'm thinking, well, yeah, but also, you know, there's it's got to be spectacular, and it was, and it, so surely somebody will get away in the way of it, and they didn't. But yeah, so Maxman is he's slowly sort of. To, I mean, obviously moments of brilliance with, with him, but I think the work ethic that Eddie Howe expects, he's sort of turning that as well. And obviously a consistent St. Maximum is a very, very good player. And I think the inconsistent part of him was the reason probably why he landed at Newcastle in the first place. But he's definitely improving. He's, he's a big player for them. I think, looking at it again, I think he's slightly shinned it. Yeah, yeah Shinboa, yeah. What did you say there, Lucy? Shinboa? Shinboa, yeah. Is that after... Tony Yeboa. Yeah, to- yeah, Tony I'm not, having, yeah. I'm not having Tony Yeboas. I'm not having no, 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 podcast no. saying that he didn't hit that, that one against Liverpool at Wimbledon cleanly. No, it's, it tried to do a Yeboa, but it ends on your shin, so it's a ah, shin boa. Right, good, good, I understand. Um, yeah, Samedo did quite well against San Maximum uh, in that game. And Wolves, again, Barry, they played pretty well there. That second goal, it was probably rightly ruled out. I mean, they were a bit annoyed about Fabian Scher not getting sent off. And to concede a last-minute equaliser, just all those little things going against them. Um, 
Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Marvellous. Uh, <laughs> I'm so glad not every panellist is like you, Barry. I like you, right? <laughs> I think you're an integral part of this. But quite a lot of my questions are quite open. Like, you you know, you could take them where you, you want. You literally <laughs> left me with nothing to say. You've mentioned every single thing. Wolves did. <laughs> and everything that happened well, in the okay, game. There's I'll, nothing left. What I'll say is other panellists are I, polite. I agree with you. Other panellists are more polite than you. And they go, well, he's thrown me a bone. I'll go somewhere with it. Anyway, you know. You can't be asked, can you, Barry? Yeah. Worth mentioning the fact that, of course, Alexander Isaac was uh, in the stands um, with his future team and an occasion to mention that uh, I did my sums and that Newcastle United, since the Saudis moved in, have spent uh, in net spending over £230 million, £230 million. And I'd like to check, and I'm sure if our friend Swiss Ramble is listening to that, perhaps he could put us right. I think that within a calendar year, this is the most that any club has any spent in the history of the game. Net. The thing is that it's it's something that's gone a little bit unnoticed because they've signed players for, you know, 25 million here, 30 million here, 15 million there. And it's suddenly because there's this big, big purchase of Alexander Isaac that people think, ooh, ooh, that's a lot of money. Well, they've been spending the money, as I said, over 230 million net is absolutely Phenomenal. It's more than Real Madrid, Barca, or PSG, or Manchester City have ever spent net in the calendar year. Uh, Brighton beat Leeds 1-0. Uh, John says Brighton were top of the Premier League for four minutes. Have any of the panel ever reached the climax of a 10-year plan only for it to last just four minutes? Well, look, it's a, a new club record of nine consecutive top-flight matches without defeat. They are really excellent, Lucy, and still sort of going under the radar. We're probably not talking about them enough because they're only Brighton. Pascal Gross is a wonderful footballer. It's a it's a joy to see what Graham Potter is doing. Yeah, they they well they've got a, a strategy that everybody's sort of in line with. The transfers they do very very well. He is quite flexible with his tactics. I think he can change. And Philippe's talked about it before. He can change within within games as well. And quite a lot of the times when teams turn up to play against Brighton, they don't really know how Brighton are going to play. And I think that is credit to how the players have adapted to what Graham Potter wants. And and obviously he has the freedom within that club. And, you know, we talk about uh, him going to a, a so-called bigger club, but I think that, that Brighton give him the room um, and the freedom to, to sort of do what he wants to do with, with that group of players. Uh, pressure mounting on Steven Gerrard. Villa have just won one of their last eight Premier League games. Darren says Steven Gerrard thrives on pressure. Is he thriving enough, Lucy? Well, do you know what? I think that you talked earlier about laughing at Arteta when he was struggling. I think all all managers need time, but don't always get time um, because you can see something in them where they, that you think at some point they'll have success. And I, I, I sort of think that about um, Gerard. And I know that Arteta was given given time, and it's it doesn't. I don't think he quite knows his best eleven because he's got quite a lot of strength and depth on the on the bench. Um, I've done them a few times. Done them when they clicked, and they they were very very good when Coutinho plays well and Buendia. But obviously, you know, he's not quite got what it, what he wants as a, as a first eleven. But I think that he will in time, whether he gets that or not, I don't know. It's interesting listening to Neil Taylor on the radio talking about how big Villa Park is, how big the pitch is and how narrow the Villa team play and how actually, you know, because it's a lot expected of Luca Dini and, and Massey Cash and like all of his midfielders are kind of nice, neat central midfielders and they actually perhaps could do with some wide men because Villa Park is 
is just so massive. Um, Barry, you didn't find it as funny as I hoped you would um, that West Ham have signed Paqueta to go with Rice and then they have a packet of rice in central midfield. Um, but <laughs> a, a key win for them because they had no points. Yeah, I mean, it was a very poor game and West Ham did need the points, obviously, but I wasn't particularly impressed with either side. Uh, interesting to see Mikel Antonio left out by West Ham. I, I suspect he may spend quite some time on the sidelines this season, and I'm not sure how that will go down with him. But he has you know, worked tirelessly for them for the last couple of seasons. And then you look at Villa's front three, I agree with Lucy when she says that she doesn't think Steven Gerrard knows what his best team is, but Ollie Watkins, Coutinho, and Danny Ings, it's, it just doesn't seem to be working. And I, I don't think Watkins and Ings are a good combination playing up front together for Villa. I just, I just don't think it works. You kind of think he feels like he needs to pick both of them because they're both really good, but they're both quite similar in a way. Aren't they? they do similar things, make similar runs, and he might be better off just going with one of them and saying, bad luck, Danny. Those three have been playing together a lot for quite some time. And if you compare them to, say, Forest front three, who were haven't been playing don't together. Don't even know for, each other's names. Very long, yeah, what, yeah <laughs> I've only just got to know each other. It's chalk and cheese. Forest just look a lot better. Uh, last game, Brentford won Everton one. Jim says, by scoring at Brentford, has Anthony Gordon proven that he can cope with the bright lights of West London? I don't know, Lucy, how, how Brentford didn't win this game. Yeah, they had a lot of chances. I think Everton, Everton scored first, didn't they? And then they just sort of concede a little bit of space and control of the game and, and Brentford you know, should have probably scored more than the one goal. Well, having said that, from an Everton point of view, they haven't really got a striker. They've obviously got more pain now. Um, he's not the um, Calvert-Lewin type of, of player. But what the Everton fans, if they're looking on the bright side, is that, that he's building from defence upwards, um, Lampard, in terms of his transfers brought in uh, and games are not running away from them. And obviously, you've seen that Man United going to Brentford and, and getting absolutely battered. So I suppose they see that as a, as a point gain. And Philippe, do you think Mopai is a sensible signing for Everton? I'm not too sure, to be uh, to be honest. I don't. I I'd like to say yes for the sake of my Everton friends, but I I don't think so. He's not one of those um, incredibly efficient box players. He's not somebody who is remarkably consistent. He's a bit hit and miss. He's a very clever player. He's very smart, very quick. His movement is is superb. I think. But I'm not too sure that he fits in what, what I've seen from Everton um, I mean, for, for quite a while now. So I, I, I'd like to say, yes, he's going to be a, a terrific addition to, to the squad, but uh, I don't quite see how he fits, honestly. Um, look, there's a full midweek fixture list. Uh, so look, if your team haven't had lots of coverage today, hopefully they will over Wednesday and Thursday when they'll be spread apart. We'll have a bit more time to talk about them. Um, you probably know the Champions League draw. Ajax, Liverpool, Napoli, Rangers is a brilliant group. Bayern, Barca and Inter in the same group is superb. And AC Milan and Chelsea come up against each other. Spurs have got quite a friendly group. Wonderful for Ange Postacoglu and Celtic to kick off their campaign at home to Real Madrid. And uh, uh, the Erling Braut Haaland derby of City Dortmund and uh, PSG Juventus in the same group. 
Um, so yeah, you did know the groups and now you know them again. Um, but look, we'll obviously <laughs> cover them as and when the games happen. Um, uh, Philippe, I wanted to talk to you about the Paul Pogba um, sort of blackmail extortion yes. story. It's sort of pretty depressing. It's quite extraordinary. Um, Paul Pogba says he's been the target of extortion and threats from an organised gang, which includes his brother, Matthias. According to the news agency AFP, French police have opened an investigation into the allegations which France TV claim involve an alleged 13 million euro blackmail attempt. Um, it's it's just shocking, really. It's absolutely shocking. I don't want to say too much about it. What they've, they've told him, according to what has been told to the French police, is that uh, they had been protecting him, um, you know, in a kind of discreet fashion for, throughout his career. And because of that, he had to give them 13 million euros, small sum. And, you know, he he was intimidated with, you know, people, you know, coming with uh, face masks and uh, shotguns. I mean, you can imagine that sometimes it makes me think of two things. First of all, that we don't always know what goes on in players' lives and that we have to be a little bit careful where they don't seem to be completely focused on the job at hand. That's the first thing. And the second thing I would say is that this happens actually more often than you think. I can think of one other very, very big player who was also the um, the victim of this type of thing a couple of years ago, didn't make the papers, fortunately was resolved uh, by the police. Uh, it does happen quite a lot. And that's, you know, these the fact that his brother is involved uh, is really what makes it move to a different dimension. It's beyond sordid, it's beyond horrible. And I think all we can hope is that Paul Pogba is safe, protected, and and can get out of this without you know, without suffering anymore because it's been going on since at least March, so for at least six months. Uh, he issued a statement signed by his lawyers and his mother and his agent, um, uh, which followed a video that his brother Matthias had posted online in four languages promising great revelations uh, about him. Matthias said, the whole world, as well as my brother's fans, even more so the French team in Juventus, my brother's teammates and his sponsors deserve to know certain things. Paul Pogba's statement said the videos were unfortunately no surprise. They are, in addition to threats and extortion attempts by an organised gang against Paul Pogba, the competent bodies in Italy and France were informed a month ago. There will be no further comments in relation to the ongoing investigation. Responding to the statement on Sunday evening, Matthias Pogba wrote in French that people will see that there is no more coward, more traitor, more hypocrite than you on earth. Um, but yes, it's, it's, I think that that point you make is extraordinary. So it's been going on for so long, and you know we're watching him playing yeah. and going, oh, his form's not really there. Does he really care? And you, it does. I guess you you can't caveat everything you say about every player going. We don't know, but it is worth no, no, it is no, worth no. acknowledging sometimes that we don't know what is happening. And uh, and and you know, remember for example, remember what happened to Dimitar Berbatov when he was in Bulgaria and how he had to he had to leave because there was so much pressure put on him by basically the local mafia who wanted to rig games, who wanted to extort money from him and so forth, and he had to move. It's honestly something which which happens far more often than we think. Very often, football players come from less privileged backgrounds and um, where people who are their friends, you know, from, from their youth, they stay loyal to them. Most often, there's absolutely no problem with that, quite the opposite. But sometimes you get a really, a, a few bad apples who, um, you know, become parasites and it's, there's a very, very short step to make from parasite to actual criminal. Um, uh, 
Moving on to Sunderland, Craig says, does Barry now feel happy that his dislike of Alex Neal is now fully justified? Um, <laughs> Peter says, can Baz give Alex Neal a bucket load? Should Sunderland wait for Gerard or Lampard's upcoming availability? It was interesting, Barry, to see Sunderland said, thanks for everything, Alex. The quote tweets obviously are quite rude, um, but a couple of people quite near the top said, one said, may he stand barefoot on a Lego every morning? And uh, three down, it said, in full Mackham, Gan stand on a plug, which I, which I quite liked. Um, well, I believe he'll be able to afford lots of Lego and lots of electrical appliances with plugs because uh, the word on the street is that Stoke have, have offered him uh, double what he was on at Sunderland. They've also given him a long-term contract, which he didn't have at Sunderland. Um, look... It it doesn't do much to. I, I I was rather hoping Sunderland had got their act together behind the scenes. But this doesn't look good for them. But it, there's not much they could do. Alex Neal had a clause in his contract that said he could talk to Stoke. He's decided to do that. He's left the club, so Sunderland will cope without him. But it, it does seem a bit of a crappy thing to do on his part. Anyway, look, we, we did promise you a uh, cheetah talk, but look, we'll save that for Wednesday or Thursday. Just finish with Preston North End's extraordinary start to the season in the championship. Here are their results so far. Preston nil, Hull nil. Luton nil, Preston one. Preston nil, Rotherham nil. Preston nil, Watford nil. Cardiff nil, Preston nil. They have scored one and conceded naught in five games is absolutely fantastic and it's frankly an absolute it's absolutely devastating that they did score against Luton because the start of the season with five goalless draws would be absolutely sensational if you go home and away to watch Preston in five games you have seen one goal that is magical anyway that is all we have time for today uh thank you so much Lucy cheers thank you Philippe thank you Max cheers Barry thanks uh, Premier League this Tuesday and Wednesday. We'll be back Wednesday and Thursday looking back at those. Football Weekly was produced by Lucy Oliva. Our executive producer is Max Sanderson. This is The Guardian.